Good evening. Good to see you here tonight. Good to be back for another period of worship. As Larry said, if you're visiting with us, we want to welcome you and uh, invite you to take one of those cards that you see in front of you and you can fill that out. There are two little black boxes there in the back of the auditorium. Uh, that's just so we can express our appreciation for you being here with us tonight. Uh, tonight we are continuing our series in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we're looking at uh, we're looking at it uh, passage by passage, uh, ver verse by verse, and uh, we're going to be in the latter part of chapter 4 tonight and the beginning of chapter 5. So if you would, take out your Bible with me and turn there to Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35, and then we're going to continue into uh, chapter 5. Now, as we've journeyed through the Gospel of Mark so far, uh, we've seen a picture of Jesus, the Christ, Jesus the Messiah, that is intended to amaze us as Mark presents him. Uh, there's no one like this man called Jesus. No one like him. There's never been anyone like him, and there's no one presently like him. There's, there's no one like him who has the power and authority to forgive people's sins. Uh, there, there's no one like him who spends his valuable, precious time on earth ministering to the needs of the undesirables in society, the needs of the vulnerable, and heals them of their illnesses. There's no one like him. This picture of Jesus as presented within the Gospel of Mark, it's not only intended to amaze us, it's intended to rock us to the core and cause us to listen to Him, to take His words very seriously. His words, especially we've seen this in chapter 4 in the parabolic discourse, but we've seen in chapter 4 that His words are so very weighty and so significant that they bring life and health and restoration and well-being to those that submit to them, to those that listen to them. But at the same time, they're so weighty and they're so significant that they bring heartache and sorrow and destruction and death to those that don't listen to Him and heed what He says. The picture of Jesus Christ that's presented in the Gospel of Mark, it's intended to lead every single one of us to the brink of a decision that all of us will have to make for ourselves. No one can make this decision for you. You have to make it alone. Will you embrace Him? Will you invite this Jesus into your life and humble yourself before Him? And like His disciples, say, Lord, Teach me these things. Teach me uh, your ways. Teach me to understand uh, what, what it is that you want me to understand so that I can be like you. Or will you dismiss him as someone of little importance, little value, and little significance like so many people do? His message and his identity as pictured in Mark is glorious 
As we saw last time, it's like, it, it's like a lamp that you don't put a lamp under a basket. No, you put it on a stand so it gives light to all that's in, 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 in the house. His message and identity shine brighter uh, than, than the sun. His message and identity is, is powerful. Uh, they, they, have, they have the mysteriously unique capability of piercing into the depths of the human condition and, and produce a brand new soft heart of flesh where there was once a, a hard, calloused heart of stone that, did, that was unresponsive to God, that didn't have a relationship with God. His message and his identity are defined by power. They are powerful. And the results of his message and identity will be so great that it will reach every corner of the earth and infiltrate every nation under heaven like a little mustard seed that starts out small, that has small beginnings, but it grows and it grows and it grows larger than any of the garden plants. His message and his identity, the results of it will be great. Now, I hope through all that you can see by now that, that this Jesus uh, that, uh, that, that's being presented in Mark, uh, which Mark presents to us, is, is more powerful than, than any other. That's what Mark wants you to see. He possesses great authority, the, th the very authority from God. He is powerful. He possesses great authority, and he displays a compassion that cannot be matched by anyone. That's what Mark wants you to see, and he's developing this idea more and more as we journey through these passages. And tonight, we're, we're transitioning. We're, we're going to transition from, from Jesus's uh, parabolic discourse in Mark chapter 4 um, to an even deeper display of who Jesus is. Nothing new really, but a much deeper presentation of the realities that we've already uncovered. Uh, tonight, we're going to see even more clearly how powerful this Jesus is and the, uh, the extent of his authority. Jesus is so powerful that he can manipulate the laws of nature to suit his purposes. This Jesus is so powerful that, that he can speak a word and command a legion of evil spirits to flee his presence. This Jesus is so powerful that he can heal an incurable sickness and even bring the dead back to life. That's who we're talking about. That's who we're dealing with. And we're also going to see tonight that the way he uses this power, the way he uses this authority is, is likewise very unique. Uh, unlike anything ever seen. He uses, this Jesus, he uses his awesome power. He uses his great authority to display a kind of compassion that the world has never seen and will ultimately be revealed later in the journey when he goes to the cross. Now open up your Bible with me and look in verse 35 of Mark chapter 4. Let's look in verse 35. This is the story of Jesus calming the sea. Uh, 
Let's read verses 35 through 37 together and, and, and see uh, how, uh, how Mark presents this great Jesus. Verse 35, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. Uh, now, as you've probably noticed as we, move, as we have moved uh, throughout the, the gospel according to, to Mark, Mark moves the story along in a very quick pace. Um, he uses the word immediately, 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 this happened. Um, it jumps from scene to scene uh, very, very quickly. Uh, he goes, and, and in this story, uh, Mark goes immediately from a calm teaching scene on the Galilean shore, that's the parables that we've, that we've been talking about, to this rough storm on the lake. Uh, without any kind of intermission, uh, we just jump right in uh, to, this, uh, to, uh, to, to this scenario here. Jesus here, uh, as we read in the text, he decides to, uh, to go to the other side of the lake um, in, in fishing boats, uh, which were probably, uh, they, several, several years ago, they, dis- they discovered some uh, fishing boats that were um, supposedly from the first century world, and um, that kind of maybe gives you an idea of, of the kind of boats that they had, but they were, they were 26, around 26, 27 feet long um, and could hold up to 15 people. That's probably maybe um, the kind of vessel that Jesus is uh, in and his disciples uh, with him, and there's some other boats there um, that, that, the, that the text uh, mentions. But they get in these boats, and uh, they row over to the other side, you know, the, which is of, of this massive lake. And as they were rowing to the other side, the text says that there arose a windstorm. Uh, that's the word that the ESV uses. A windstorm arose. And uh, when you look at the original Greek, this, this wasn't just your average thunderstorm. Uh, this It's not just raining cats and dogs and there's a gentle, cool breeze uh, coming um, coming over the waters. It's much more severe uh, than that. Uh, The Greek word rendered in the ESV, windstorm, it carries the idea of a fierce gust of of wind or a whirlwind or a hurricane uh, which caused these giant waves uh, to come up over uh, over the side of the boat and and begin to to fill it. Uh, So they're they're, they're, they're sinking. Their boat is, is, is going to sink. Um, and, of course, this would, this would have been terribly terrifying. Uh, I know I would have been absolutely terrified um, if, if, I was in that, if I was in that situation. They, you know, they didn't have uh, the luxury of pumps in their boat, so it's not like they can just pump all the water out um, that's, that's coming in uh, like modern boats do. Uh, so they could have easily been swamped and sunk to the bottom of the lake. Uh, but... Notice with me here Jesus' reaction coupled with the reaction of his disciples. Look back with me in the text at verse 38 of Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verse 38. But he was in the stern, that's Jesus, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? A few years ago, uh, I, went with, I went with my parents on a deep-sea fishing trip 
out of uh, uh, Destin, Florida. And the day we went was a little rough. Uh, the boat was like this the entire time, and it was hard to walk uh, on, uh, on, on the deck and quite uh, frankly hard to um, hold, the, hold, the, hold the fishing pole um, and, and do all that in, 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 rough, uh, in rough waters. So I, I, can't, I can't imagine trying to sleep in a situation like this. I, I, I can't even fathom somebody, uh, somebody taking a nap uh, whenever they're in this kind of dire uh, situation going through what rough waters. But Jesus did. The text says that Jesus was asleep in the stern of the boat. And I think here the text is implying that he was able to do that because he had deep trust. He had deep faith um, th- that everything was going to be okay. He knew his power. He knew his authority. He knew who he was, and he knew that everything was going to be okay, which stands in direct contrast to the reaction of, of, of the disciples. Uh, the disciples knew at this point, they've been with Jesus for a little bit now, they know that there's something special, there's something unique about this Jesus, they, they have witnessed firsthand his power. They have seen his great authority. Um, they have seen his compassion being displayed in multiple scenarios. So they know that he's someone special. But when their faith was tested and they were faced with a life or death situation, they revealed another side. They revealed their uncertainty. And the tone of their question when they come to him uh, is, is carries this kind of uh, accusatory tone. Um, they, they essentially say, when they come to Jesus, he's asleep in the back of the boat, they essentially say, Lord, we've seen your power and authority and compassion. Why don't you do something? Why don't you do something about it? Why don't you save us? Why don't you help us? comes across as kind of um, accusatory. Uh, why don't you care about us in our hour of need, in our darkest moment? I wonder how many times God has heard similar words from his children, from his people. And the fact is that Jesus does care in those moments in those times. Look with me in the next part of the text in verse 39, Mark chapter 4, verse 39. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one to another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? If you do a study of the the ancient world, uh, some of the pagan gods and goddesses, especially of the the Canaanite cults, uh, you'll, you'll see that in the ancient world, the sea was viewed as this hostile, chaotic force which only could be controlled by the gods. Only the gods could 
uh, tame the mighty power of the chaotic sea and the beasts that are contained within it. And we see this idea even in the Old Testament that the Lord, Yahweh, who is the God, the only God, is the only one who has himself the power to control the chaotic waters, to control the untamable sea. Uh, and this, this is mentioned in Psalm 107, uh, verse 25. I want to read Psalm 107, verses 25 through 31. It says, For he commanded and raised the stormy winds, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to the heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were, at, and, and were at their wit's end. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. What we see here in this passage is that this Jesus, this Jesus is just no ordinary man. He's unique. He's special above all other. He has the power to tame the chaotic sea that cannot be contained by only God himself. Jesus is God who has the power to tame and control nature, to control the sea. And when Jesus speaks to his disciples here, he speaks in, 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 in a way that is um, direct and at the same time carries this kind of direct, compassionate tone. And when Jesus speaks to his disciples, he's essentially saying to them, do you not see yet that when you are in me and I am in you, then I'm with you. I'm with you, even in the chaotic waters, even in your darkest moment. I control the raging sea. I control what can't be controlled by anyone else. I can tame the most powerful storm that exists in the world. I am more powerful than your most dreaded enemy. Jesus says, trust me, trust me. He says, I'm with you even in the storms. I'm with you even in the chaotic waters. Even when your life is hanging in the balance and you don't know what's going to happen next and your faith is tested to its end uh, and whenever, you're, whenever your heart questions, is, is he there? Is he there? Does he care? Uh, does, he, does, he, does he show any concern for me? By faith, by faith, we can see that the answer is always yes. This Jesus has the power to manipulate nature. He has the power to tame the sea. And he is one who will use that power to shower you with his mighty compassion as you have faith in him. 
Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. And he will say, peace, be still in your life. He has the power and authority even over nature. Let's look at the second uh, passage um, tonight uh, that that I want to dive into. In Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, uh, we see again the power and authority of this Jesus being developed in our minds uh, through uh, the, the gospel of Mark. Uh, and I want to read, this is a little bit longer text, and that's okay. Uh, I, w- I want to read all of uh, the passage here, verses 1 through 20. Uh, and I, I want to read this text together and point out something that I think um, Mark is trying to bring to light. Uh, within within this passage, uh, no, notice with me. Uh, th- this is what you, uh, as I read this, be thinking be thinking about this. No, notice notice with me as we read uh, the demon possessed man's condition before Jesus casts the demons out and after. It's the it's the story about the man with the with the legion, the demon possessed demon possession. Jesus casts the demons out. Notice. The disposition, what the man is like, notice how he behaves before and after the demons are cast out. Notice that. Okay, Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by by God, don't torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us into the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned into the sea. The herdsmen, they fled and told it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there. He was clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region as he was getting into the boat The man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but he said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you 
and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Now, as I said before, I want you to notice uh, with me the condition of the man uh, that had the legion of demons uh, that Jesus cast out. I want you to notice the condition, his condition before uh, Jesus cast the demons out. He was, quite frankly, a menace to society. No one liked him. No one wanted him to be there because of the demons. He, he constantly disturbed the peace, uh, as, as the text said, by, by his loud cries. He would cry and wail and disturb everybody within the town. He was, he, he was, he was indecent. Uh, he wasn't clothed properly, uh, which, which caused a stir. Um, he, was, he participated in violent behavior. They tried to subdue him, but he would wrench off the change. Pe- people from the town, they, they would try to control him. They would try to restrain him so that he wouldn't hurt anybody, uh, so that he wouldn't be a menace to society, but he would just rip the chains right off. Um, and he remained a threat to public safety, to everyone um, that was within the town there. He was not only a menace, to, a menace to society, a threat to everybody around him, he was a threat to himself. He, he lived away from family and friends among the tombs, and, and he would cut himself with stones, um, a very unhealthy practice. His, his personal identity was no more. It was taken away from, from, from him. Um, his sense of inner peace, of joy, was virtually non-existent because of his condition. All of his human dignity was gone. It was out the window. His social relationships were completely damaged. Uh, his, his ability to, to practice self-control in the presence of others was destroyed. He was absolutely of no benefit whatsoever to society. He didn't help society flourish or function um, or, or thrive in, 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 in any way. He was a burden. He was the epitome of depravity, this demon-possessed man, a poor, helpless soul abused and harassed by the forces of Satan. Now, with that vision in mind, um, and, and, and as we've seen this for, our, for, for ourselves, what I'm pretty sure that Mark is getting at one of the things that he's getting at in this story is that he's painting a visual picture of the human condition through the story of this demon-possessed man. The inside of the fallen human heart looks much like this demon-possessed man, sick, as Jeremiah says, ruined and depravity, depraved because of sin. This man is a visual, it's a, uh, it, it's, it's a picture of uh, what humanity on the inside has become. Now, notice with me again the condition of the man after Jesus had cast out the demons. It's the opposite. It's the very opposite of the condition before. His dignity is restored, and he's able to see and and think rationally. He's able to make rational decisions with a proper uh, view of the world around him. 
He goes home to his friends and he rekindles his social relationships. Um, he, he, he makes connections with, with friends again and thrives in, in, in society. He's no longer a threat to himself. He doesn't cut himself with stones like it says before. He's no longer a burden on the well-being of, of society. He displays now this attitude of inner peace and joy and, um, and tranquility. He, he gives, uh, and he, he, he's given this identity. Uh, he now, his identity was taken away from him, but he's given a new identity that's wrapped up within the mercy of God. And he himself becomes a proclaimer of the goodness of God. He goes around telling everybody all of what Jesus, this Jesus, has done for him. Now, one of the main things that I think Mark is really, really trying to push here is how Jesus uses his power and authority to display his compassion toward the human condition, toward the human heart. The human heart looks like this demon-possessed man before Jesus Christ gets a hold of it. But when the human heart submits to this Jesus, he takes it and he molds it and he shapes it and he transforms it into a heart that's truly capable of loving God and loving their neighbor. And this, this... I believe, is how Jesus uses, exercises his power and his authority. He uses it to heal and restore humanity to its pre-fall condition, which shows us the kind of God that we're dealing with, the kind of God that he really is. He's a God who possesses more compassion and more grace than one could possibly imagine, which is ultimately seen in the final scene at the cross. Now, I uh, was going to talk about another one, but uh, we're kind of dwindling down on time. Uh, so we'll, we'll stop uh, there tonight. We'll pick up uh, there next time. But for now... Um, Mark uh, wants you to see this Jesus. He's painting a picture in your mind of this Jesus, of who he is, of how awesome he is, how amazing he is, how compassionate and gracious he is. And the question remains to you, how will you respond to him and his message? Tonight, if you have... Uh, any need, if uh, you need uh, people praying for you, uh, we want to. We want to do that. We want to pray. We want to pray for you. We want to help you. We want to bear your burdens in any way. You can come forward and make whatever you're going through known. Uh, also, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you have a, a um, an opportunity to embrace Him in relationship as you believe uh, on Him, and uh, you can repent of your sins, make a decision to go. Go the other direction. Turn around and to do things God, God's way. Um, and uh, you can tonight you can confess your faith in Him uh, and be immersed in water uh, for the forgiveness of your sins and begin a relationship with Jesus. If you have any need tonight, why don't you come forward as we stand and as we sing?